Good morning, church. Open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 5. We started a short little series through Deuteronomy last week. Uh, We'll be there this week and next week as well. Deuteronomy chapter 5, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And uh, pray with me as we pray for another church. My freshman college roommate, his name is Nathan Sherman. We were in school together at the University of Texas. He had no idea that God was going to call him into ministry. By the end of his time at UT, God had called him to ministry. And it's been eight, seven, eight years uh, where he planted a church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I got to go into Albuquerque to be with the high school students up in Glorietta for a couple nights. And I told Pastor Nathan we'd pray for him. Christ Church, Albuquerque. It's a great church. Uh, Let's pray for him and let's uh, ask the Lord to bless the preaching, hearing, and obeying of the word this morning. Father, we are humbled to be in your presence. When we think about what it is that a majestic, glorious, awesome God made relationship possible for us to lift up your name, to sing truths over one another, to experience your presence in a unique way through the worship of your saints and preaching of your word and praying of brothers and sisters, God, we just say thank you. We say thank you and we praise you. We understand that grace is not deserved. We do not deserve to come into your presence, but you made a way. Our Savior, our Redeemer, through the cross, through forgiveness, through redemption, God, you made a way. And so even now, as we continue in worship, we open God's word. We pray it's living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. We pray that it would have an effect in our lives that it would not return void, God. We ask that you would do big things in this moment when we consider your character and what you've called us to if we are going to obey you. We can't do it on our own strength, God. We need your grace. We need heart change that comes through the gospel. But God, if that heart change is there, then there should be fruit and there should be evidence. Lord, have your way in this moment as we go to your word. And we pray for Pastor Nathan. I'm so grateful for him for his friendship, uh, for who he is uh, in my life, for uh, seeing, God, you use him in mighty ways. In Austin, and Albuquerque, continue to bless his family as he raises those boys. Continue to bless his leadership at church. Anoint him and the other elders on their pastor team as they shepherd and cast vision and fulfill your mission, God. We pray that you'd use Christ Church Albuquerque in a huge way in your kingdom there in New Mexico and the world beyond, as I know they're praying through planting churches. God, would you do a great thing for your glory and would you do it here? Not for us, not for FBC Wimberley, not for our name, God, your name. Do it here for your name and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you missed last week, let me just summarize Deuteronomy chapter four. Deuteronomy chapter four, the law is given to Israel. Moses can't go into the promised land, so he has these final speeches to say, please don't forget what God has done. They have rules, they've got the law, but bigger picture, Moses is saying, how awesome is it that God spoke to us? 
How awesome is it that we met him face to face at the foot of Mount Sinai, that I got to see the burning bush, that you heard thunder, lightning, the booming voice of God speaking to you. What people has ever heard the voice of God and lived? It it just changes the way that we see the law. Sometimes we think it's stringent and restrictive. The iron fist of the the father just saying, if you don't obey me, you're going to be damned. Let's not see God that way. Let's see God in his mercy and grace that he made relationship possible. The heartbeat of the law is relationship. The heartbeat of the Old Testament that we can read sometimes with a calloused heart, knowing so many of the great things we understand from the New Testament, is that we can think it's dry. But instead, if we remember the timeline of redemptive history, we see God in his grace and mercy and love and care. He made relationship possible. So we'll continue with that thought in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the law for relationship. And, and as I come to read this passage, we'll read verse 1 through 21 here in a bit. Let me just tell you, every relationship has rules. Don't you know this? Every relationship, friendships, family, marriage, work, neighbors, friends, enemies. I said friends, but I want to say enemies, right? God told us how to relate to our enemies. Every relationship has rules. I mean, just put simply, in our marriage, generally, I'll take care of chores on the outside. My wife takes care of chores on the inside. That's what works for us. It's, it's a good symbiotic relationship for us. Not every marriage is the same way. There are times she helps me with the outside. There are times I help her with the inside. But that's just a rule in our house. With our kids, they know. If they disrespect their mom, that's when the hardest consequence is coming, right? Hit your sibling, lie to anyone, Disrespect your mom, hardest consequences coming. So many spankings growing up. You can throw rocks at me later for that. Or if you're a young parent, you're like, I never learned how to do that well with love and grace and affection. But man, I, I've messed up and I didn't spank my kids. And now I got I to gotta, I gotta make up for some lost time. It's a balance. There's a tension. Okay, come talk to me. Come talk to my wife. She's better at it. That's a rule. You disrespect mom, the hammer comes down. Teenage girls, and I'm so grateful for the, for the fame screw that helped me out on this one. Uh, I, I knew this many years ago in student ministry. If you text, especially a teenage girl, if you text her and she reads your message and she doesn't text you back, that's bad news. That's a rule for that relationship, right? You get left on red and then there's distance. You get left on red and there's the silence treatment, Right? I'm not going to talk to you. You let me on red. I can't believe you let me on red for three days. Teenage girls got that one. Some of y'all didn't. That's okay. There's rules for every relationship. Sometimes the rules are spoken. Sometimes they're unspoken. We didn't have to speak about when we exchanged vows in front of God and our family and our friends that we'd be faithful to one another. We didn't have to speak about that, right? It, it was an unspoken rule. I'm not stepping out on my wife. She's not stepping out. We didn't have to talk about that. It's unspoken. We get it. Here's the trick, though. Sometimes when rules are unspoken, it makes the relationship very difficult. Think about this. In our pre-marital counseling, I just assumed because I saw my mom do the bills, I saw my student pastor's wife do the bills, that every woman does the bills and does the finances and keeps all the credit card stuff and all the banks. And so we're in premarital counseling, and the pastor that's going to marry us asks, who's going to pay the bills? And we both said, they are. I pointed to her, she pointed to me. Now, I pay the bills, all right? (laughs) 
the finances in our marriage. But had we not figured that out, if that rule was unspoken, can you imagine the damage that would cause when like the electricity bill didn't get paid, electricity gets shut off, the water bill didn't get paid, we don't have water, the mortgage doesn't get paid, we get foreclosed. Can you imagine how dangerous that would have been if we didn't figure out those rules? Now with all that being said, I understand it's a long introduction. When we look at rules or the law or specifically this morning, the Ten Commandments, I want you to know that it's a gracious thing that God spoke them. How troublesome would it be if God did not speak? How troublesome would it be if we did not know how to have a relationship with him? How troublesome would it be if we didn't know how to obey him? We didn't know how to have joy in obedience. We just had to guess. I mean, I'm going to try to figure this thing out on my own, God, but I don't know how to do it. If the rule was unspoken, it would have been very difficult in our relationship with the Lord. Yet God spoke. The law for relationship. When we read the Ten Commandments, which I'm about to, I want you to see a bigger picture. We're not going to deep dive all Ten Commandments. I want you to see a bigger picture. God wants your heart. It's about relationship. God wants your heart. And I'm not going to spend much time, like I said, deep diving through these. But I want us to get the helicopter view and see, even in some of the language that's used here, how it's so clear to me that what God is doing for Israel in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, when Moses reminds them of the law and the Ten Commandments, is saying, God wants your heart. That message was true for Israel. That message is true for us even today. It's a longer passage. Would you bear with me as I read chapter 5, verse 1 through 21? Follow along. Moses summoned all Israel, said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and rules that I speak in your hearing today. You shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today, the Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down or to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me. And keep my commandments. Look at the language. Love versus hate. Relationship. Verse 11, third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes the name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh is for the Sabbath. To the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you, you shall remember 
that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not cover, or excuse me, covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. I understand that's a long passage, but it was so important to read it in the entirety. Again, just for clarity, I'm not going to dive into each of those commands, okay? What I want you to see is this helicopter view to remind you, remind me as we walk with God and obey him that the law is primarily about relationship. God wanted relationship. Look at the language. The Lord your God. That the Lord your God did. The covenant the Lord your God made with us. Verse 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and of slavery. Verse 15, you shall remember you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand. I would be a fool to think every person in this place is a Christian. Every person in this place has come to a surrender moment where they say, Lord, I'm yours. Jesus, thank you for dying. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for redemption. I've tried to do it my own way. I'm giving my life to you. Here's my surrender moment. I would be a fool to think that. Let me just be really honest with you. If you can't say the Lord is your God, then this relationship isn't true for you yet. It's not true for you yet. But if you can say in Christ, through Christ, I've come through the door. I've come through the gate, Jesus. I am adopted into the family of God. I'm covered by his blood. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. Then all these things are true, and you should push towards them. If you're not a Christian, you'll have an opportunity today, today, to give your life to Christ. The Lord, your God, is very important in this passage. Not many of you are Star Wars fans, I've learned, but if you are, you know Darth Vader, Luke, I'm your father. I can't speak like him, right? It's not working. Luke, right? I can't do it. Luke is surprised by that language. If you are a Christ follower adopted into the family of God, you should not be surprised when God says, I'm your father. The Lord, your God. The covenant that God made equals relationship. God is saying, remember your relationship that I made with you and you made with me. God's covenant assumes relationship and there are some rules in the relationship. Three relational charges we receive in the law as we look at the bigger picture, okay? Not drilling down in the commands, but the bigger picture. Three relational charges. Number one, love God with pure devotion. Love God with pure devotion. And write down, if you're taking notes, write down verse 6 and verse 15. 
This is very important here. Verse 6 and verse 15. I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you up from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The motive for obeying God's law is remembering the redemption of our great God and Father. We obey not because we earn something from it or we think that, that we're so moral in our own capability, but we obey because we remember. God, you're so good. You did that. God, you rescued me. God, you took me out of darkness and brought me into light. Verse 6 and verse 15, that we love God with a pure devotion. It only happens when you remember the great work of redemption that God has done for you. Of course we obey because he's the only one worthy. That's the first commandment. You shall have no other God before me. He is worthy. He is awesome. He is glory. He is majesty. He is the definition of love, 1 John chapter 4. God deserves our obedience because of his worth and his holiness. We remember our redemption and then we remember his goodness. We sang about it. Your goodness, your faithfulness. So God, I want to I love you. I want to obey you with a pure-hearted devotion. We talk about relationship. That's what God expects. He is worth it and we remember the great things he's done for us. Now, if you've raised a teenager, if you are a teenager, you know about pure-hearted devotion if you've ever done athletics. You get out of grade school and junior high, and by the time you're getting out of junior high, coaches will press down and say, you got to pick. You, need a, you can't do three sports. you got to pick one. you got to be pure-hearted and devoted to this one thing so that you work 365 days and you be awesome at this one thing. Anyone relate to this? I don't know. I think it's too much pressure, to be honest. I think it's way too much pressure. But just as a high school coach might call a teenager to pure-hearted devotion to one sport, God says, I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh. I'm the only one worthy. You should love me first. Don't love anything more than me. So the New Testament says in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is using this idea of mammon, worldly possessions, finances. You can't love those and love God. You can only love God. But the application is for anything else. You cannot love God and love your spouse the same way that you love God. You cannot love God and make your children an idol in your home. You're not loving God if you love your kids more than God. You cannot love God and love success and ambition and that promotion and climbing up the ladder more than God. You have to pick. Your heart can only have one thing on the throne at a time. So we know the Ten Commandments. Actually, I didn't know them. I had to memorize them in seminary. It was really embarrassing. Most of the guys went to Bible school. I didn't. I read a lot of the Bible, but I didn't grow up in church, so I didn't have the Ten Commandments memorized. But can I challenge you today that it's important to understand the Ten Commandments, but even beyond that, it's important to understand why we are to be purely devoted to God. Because he's worth it. 
And he's done amazing things. So why would we take our eyes off of Christ? Or why would we stick to the hand, stick our hands to the plow and turn around and look backwards? If there's anything in your life right now that you're loving more than the Lord, today is the day to get right. Today is the day in wholehearted repentance and surrender to say, God, I'm so sorry. There's been something else on the throne of my heart for a long time. And I just ask that you replace it because you're the one worthy. And the law is the thing that reminds us that. Remember the restrictive, stringent, iron fist of God. The law reminds us God deserves first place. Number two, relational charge. Obey the Lord because he's a jealous God. Did you see that in the second command? Don't worship idols. Why? Verse 9. You shouldn't bow down to them. You shouldn't serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God desires an unqualified allegiance from his people. Our God is a jealous God. Now, oftentimes, we put our own emotion from what we understand jealousy onto the Lord and say, well, that doesn't make sense. It's not fair. You don't get to be a jealous God. We put our sinfulness and our brokenness and the way we understand jealousy and cast that onto God and say, oh, it's hard for me to understand that God is jealous. But do you know that jealousy at its root is not bad? Right? It's just this idea that God wants a wholehearted, unqualified allegiance. We think jealousy is bad because we associate it with our own sin. We associate it with an overjealous husband that never allows his wife out of the house. Man, that guy needs to figure it out. We associate it with, with uh, a woman that wants all the attention, and if that attention gets to go to anybody else, they're jealous. We associate it with a little toddler that can't stand that mommy's spending this time with the sibling, and they throw a fit, like the two-year-old kicking and screaming fit. All those are sinful manifestations of jealousy. Right? If a, if a man is flirting with my wife, I'm going to confront him, but I may not be allowed to just punch him in the face, no whole bars. That's my sin that wants to do that. But when I have jealousy well up in my heart because another man is trying to distract her or romance her, that, that welling in my heart is not a bad thing. It's because I love her. It's because I will fight for her. That jealousy comes out of a relationship of love. God is calling us to unqualified devotion to him because he's jealous over us. We don't need to put other things on our heart. God's saying, I'm the one that's best for you. Why would you run to anything else? Why would you chase any other affection? I'm the one that's better for you. And so when he says he's jealous over us, that just reminds us of his love over us. He's jealous because of his love for us. Man, that changes things. No more do I see God just wanting to stomp me like an ant because I disobeyed. But I see a father that's saying, why? Why? Why would you choose that sin? I am so much better. Why would you do that? I'm jealous over you. And God in his holiness doesn't sin the way I would sin when I get jealous. Obey the Lord because he's a jealous God. I want you to understand this morning, 
We don't want to follow the law or follow any rules that God lays out for us because we try to earn his love. He's already displayed that love over us. So Romans 8 says that we are more than conquerors, that we live in victory even as we sang about. God being jealous doesn't motivate us to love him more to earn something. God being jealous reminds us he loves us already. We don't have to earn it. And so we want to run to him. We remember our redemption. We respond with gratitude and obedience. Love God with a pure-hearted devotion. Obey the Lord because his, he is jealous over us. Here's where it's going to get really hard. We've talked about second commandment. We've talked about idolatry. Most of us think about idolatry as something else. I listed all kinds of things earlier. I don't need to list them again. You put something else on the throne of your heart instead of the Lord. A relationship, a possession, a thing, a dream, an ambition, something else. And so you bow down to that idol. But did you know that the most common form of idolatry in our culture is worshiping oneself? That we put us on the throne of our own heart and not the Lord. Listen to what one scholar said. We, we worship at the shrine of self before God. Whenever our avaricious I want screams louder than God's, you shall not. The cult of myself before others insists personal interests have priority over kindness to others and all kinds of other ways that God calls us to live for him and represent him. We put ourselves there instead of the Lord. If the Lord was there, we would bear the fruit of loving God and loving others. But when we're there, we can't do it. I wonder if that's something that hits home with you as you consider God being a jealous God. Would today be a day of repentance where you say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've put myself on the throne of my heart where that's, that's where you belong. We're called to run away from worshiping ourselves and give him our lives, our priorities, our schedules, our dreams, our ambitions, our families. God, you deserve it all. We obey because of the way he shows his love to us. Pure-hearted devotion. Obey him because he's jealous. Number three, this relational charge coming from the Ten Commandments. Trust that the law is for our good. Trust that the law is for our good. Look at the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. Verse 16. Why? That your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Even in Ephesians, under the inspiration of the Spirit, Paul says this in chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. We not only obey because it, he, he is worth it and deserving of our obedience. We obey because he's told us, if you obey, it will be better for you. If you obey, you will live long in the land. If you honor your father and mother, it will be good for you. Even Jesus in John 15 tells us, bear fruit, obey. Why? That we might have joy and his joy might be in us. Our joy might be made full. 
It's a theme communicated all the way through the passage. If you obey, it will be well for Israel in the new land, the land flowing with milk and honey. Write down verses 32 through 33. The reason you obey is because it will be better for you. It is good for you to obey. Or even in chapter 6, verse 24. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are to this day. In Isaiah 55, the prophet says, God, your ways are higher than my ways. Do we really believe that? I mean, if we really believe, God, your ways are higher than my ways, then I run to obedience because it's for my good. I don't try to justify my sin. I don't make excuses. Oh, that was really just kind of a half-truth, but it's okay. No, I run to obedience because that's where the greatest place of joy is. I don't make excuses for my lack of affection for God. I run to the cross and I find his grace and I say, Lord, forgive me, change my affections. That's for my good in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand there's pleasure forever. Psalm 16, 11. I trust that the law is for my good. If we fail to acknowledge that, we do it our own, our own way. If you don't do it God's way, you're doing it your own way. And your own way will always lead to destruction and despair. Always. Look at the practicality of the law. Many have made the observation, uh, commands one through four, that's vertical, right? Our relationship with God commands five through ten. Honor your father and mother, murder, adultery, steal, lie, covet. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder people. Or Jesus said, hate them in your heart. Don't commit adultery. That's probably a good thing for you. It's for your good that you don't cheat on your spouse. It's for your good that you don't play marriage before you're actually married. It's for your good that you don't steal things. It's for your good that you don't lie or covet. It's for your good, actually. There's more joy there when you do it God's way. There's this vertical relationship with commands one through four and a horizontal relationship with others in commands five through ten. Well, Jesus said, love God Love others, <laughs> right? Look at the practicality of that. It's actually better. It's for our joy that we be close to God, that we don't put anything else before him, that we don't worship idols, that we don't take his name in vain, and we actually rest in him. Jesus is our final Sabbath rest. It's for our good that we understand those things in commands one through four. It's for our good that we put him first. It's actually better for our joy in my own life and in your own life. If you're obeying God, you will have more joy. If you're disobeying God, I just promise, you might not believe me, but if you're in disobedience to God, you will have less joy in your life. It says in Hebrews chapter 11 that Moses traded the fleeting pleasures of sin to be identified and named among the people of God. Is sin fun? Absolutely. I'm not going to lie about that. Preachers that say sin's not fun, they're telling a farce, okay? Sin is fun. Sin is pleasurable. Sin is great. For this long, it doesn't last. God is greater. (laughs) Amen? There is more joy with the Lord. And it lasts longer, and we're satisfied longer in his presence. And if we come to him through Christ in salvation and redemption, we have eternity of joy. Sin's fun. 
God is better. <laughs> if you really believe it's for your joy that God gave you these commands, you'll obey. It's just more practical. If God's first, there's more joy in my life. I want that practicality. Or even the way we relate to others. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covet. I missed one. Don't commit adultery. I guarantee you, if you're walking in any of those sins right now, you have less joy. It's just practical, right? If you're walking in that kind of disobedience, you have less joy in your life. So what about how you relate to God? Let's tie it back to relationship, right? The law rules for relationship. If the Lord says to Israel... And I think even to us, right, we're adopted into the family of God. Just trust me. It is better for you if you will obey me. Do we believe him? And make it personal. Do you believe him? When he says, just trust me, it's, it's for your good. It's for your joy. If you would just do it this way that I told you, it will be good for you. Do you believe that? Or... Are you lying to yourself? Are you deceiving yourself? Is the flesh stronger than the spirit? Is the temptation too great? And you continue to walk in sin and all you're doing is building up walls between you and God that he will break through in an instance because of his grace and mercy and the power of the cross and resurrection. But you, if you don't trust that it's for your good, continue to put up those walls. David said in the Psalms, if I go down into Sheol, where can I run from your presence? I think one of the reasons he said that is to talk about the omnipresence of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. But another reason is because we all do that. We all run to the depths of Sheol to try to hide from God when we're in our sin. John 3 says the same thing. Jesus said, people don't run to the light. They run to the darkness because they are afraid of their evil deeds being exposed. And so in our small-mindedness, when we're walking in disobedience to God, we just keep going further and further and further into the darkness. We've lost sight of the fact that God said, it's for your good. It's for your good. And I've made forgiveness possible. I've made repentance possible. So my question for you is, if you've stopped trusting that the law of the Lord is for your good, what ways do you need to repent this morning? Just rest on that for just a minute. What ways would you need to repent and say, God, forgive me that I stopped trusting you and I started doing it my own way? Pure-hearted devotion. We obey knowing God is jealous and we obey because he has told us the law is for our good. So you have pure devotion this morning? It's, it's God on the throne of your heart and nothing else. There's no struggle for affection or priority it's just the Lord. Or would he show you that there's something else that you struggle with? Come and pray. Pray with one of our pastors, ministers. Come pray with us. Or come spend time alone on your knees saying, God, I'm sorry. Or do you acknowledge God's jealousy over you is because of his love? And we obey him knowing that he's loved us first. We love him because he loved us first. Does that motivate you? Or do you just remember, you trust that the law is for your good. His rules are for your good. The way he's told us to obey, it's for your good. And so we say, Lord, I, I want to walk in a right relationship. 
come tear down the walls. I don't know what ways you need to respond this morning, but I do know that every time the word of God is preached, it calls us to respond. We don't just listen and check off the list, say, oh, good, good sermon, see you later. I'll check in again next week. Or more sadly, I think in our culture these days, I'll check in in a few weeks, which is worse for us. How do you respond? What's God doing? And if at the beginning when I said this relational language that God says, I am the Lord, your God, and you would say in your heart of hearts, honestly, that's not true because I've never come to a relationship with Jesus. I've never asked him to forgive me. I've never asked him to redeem me. I've never understood that he paid it all on the cross. And when he rose from the grave, all the promises were fulfilled. And I want to have that moment where I say, Jesus, take control. Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, I surrender. I want to live for you. I don't have it all figured out right now, but I trust that you'll walk with me day by day by day, and I'll get it figured out in this process of being conformed into your image. If you want to make a commitment to Christ this morning, now's the time. Don't wait. Now's the time.